0: as magnificent as that deer once was. Without all his parts working together, he can no longer really do what deer do, except impress people with how big the fur is and, and the antlers and whatever. So good memories with that one. That's, that's one that Matthew got years ago. All right, so we're in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, I want to thank Andrew for uh, getting us into this. And, and actually, you know, Paul writes, when Paul writes, his ideas flow so tightly, it feels really weird just to, like, chop these off in little board-sized pieces. Um, they all work together. So, we're going to be tying back in to some of what uh, Andrew taught us a couple weeks ago. And we are down to verse 4. There is one body… And one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. I think it's really cool that we have baptisms tonight. That worked out well. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So when we're studying the Bible, one of the things that we look for is repetition. Okay? And so as you look at this text, there's a word that just keeps showing up, and the word is one. one. Yeah, so we see one, one, there's another one, one, I mean, if you were writing an English paper, you're... Your English teacher would say, you're using this word too many times. You need some more variety. Anyway, um, yeah, one overall. And, and one shows up again here for a little different reason. I'm just going to put an underlined there. But when you look at these three verses, you have, let's count how many times. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven times that the word one shows up. It's clear that Paul is making a big deal about our being one. And so that's why I've called our teaching tonight, One. Because it's easy for us to forget sometimes with all that's going on, that we really do belong to each other through Christ and that we are one. Now there's another thing that we want to look at here before we we get into this. I want you to notice, and it might not be at first apparent. What do we know about God? He's unique. There's only one God, but there are, what, three persons. What do we call that? The Trinity, okay? So you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, And so you'll notice that as he talks about our being one, our being unified, you have the spirit here connected to this one body, one spirit. Then you have the Lord. Who is the Lord? That could refer to all the persons of the Godhead. But if we were choosing one of the three persons, who do we typically call the lord yeah the lord jesus christ the lord jesus the messiah god the son so here you have the spirit here you have the son and then here we have the father okay so spirit son and father and this is the way we want to to work on this as we think about the oneness, the unity that God has given us as the people of God. And, you know, it's significant that the Trinity, the triune God, would be the one promoting this unity because there is an everlasting unity between Father, Son, and Spirit. They're distinct persons, one God, And as you look at the scriptures here and elsewhere that talk about the unity of God's people, it consistently, the apostles consistently tie our loving unity to the loving unity that exists within the Trinity. Sometimes the doctrine of the Trinity might seem like, well, that's like academic, that's like theoretical, it's up there somewhere, but it's really important to our understanding just how closely we're connected, and that the power of God Himself, the triune God, is at work in bringing us together um, as those that belong to Jesus Christ. So, the first thing that we want to talk about is that God the Spirit makes us one, And you see that you've got um, the one body, one body, okay? One body and one spirit. So the spirit makes a body alive. The the spirit, if you will, of that big deer isn't here anymore. It's not just that his bones and meat are missing, and muscles are missing. His life force, his spirit is missing, okay? Um, and I'm not getting into the spirit of animals versus the spirit of human beings, okay? Some of you are there already. Just pull back, okay? I'm talking about animating force. I'm talking about what makes someone actually alive, and what makes us alive, spiritually alive, Um, what gives us eternal life, what changes our identity and changes from the inside out, is that we have life from God, and God does that through the Holy Spirit. Our unity in the Spirit is real, and this is important for us to, to recognize. The same Spirit of God that indwells you, if you're trusting in Jesus, indwells every other person that's trusting in Jesus. So, there is a There is a spiritual unity that we feel that is real wherever we go. You may not even speak the same language as that person, but but you sense a kinship. And sometimes we even feel this as we read the writings of, of believers that had gone on to glory hundreds of years before, and they're writing down what God is doing in their life, and we feel like this is a brother, this is a sister. I feel connected to this person. And we sense that. Uh, with those that are alive today. That unity is real, but we do know that we have to protect and maintain it. We can grieve the Spirit of God and disrupt the unity. So we all know what it's like for, for Christians to not get along. It might be in a family. It, it might be in a church. And that doesn't negate the fact that the Spirit produces unity. What it does is it's fighting against that unity. It's not a good thing. So, as Andrew taught us, a couple of weeks ago, Ephesians 4.3, we want to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So we're, because this is real, because there is life from God through the Spirit, we're going to work to cultivate the unity that that created among us, okay? Of all the things that are different with us, different ages, different ages, Uh, different backgrounds coming from different parts of the world, uh, different education levels, different economic levels, Um, all the things that might be different about us, this unites us in a profound way. It actually is a greater unity than most biological families enjoy. It's it's so deep. It's an everlasting kind of unity. The Holy Spirit gives life to the members of the body— so that they work together as one rather than just as separate members. Now, th- now, think about, you can think about a white-tailed deer body, or you can think about a human body. You need lots of parts for the body to work right. But you need life animating that, and they need to be working together. What happens if you, if you break up the parts? That's, that's usually a tragedy. That's that's an awful kind of thing. A dismembered body is not a cool thing. Now, it might be like a trophy, but still, just a skin and a skull is not enough for the body to work. The body needs to function together, all the members. And, and Paul talks a lot about this, particularly in 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to go there in a moment. But but really important for us is to recognize that, that every member of the body has value. Other people have value, other believers have value, and you have value. So you can't say, the, the, the church does not need me. I don't need to do my part. That's like a foot, just like tomorrow morning, you're getting out of bed to go to work or to go to school, and your right foot decides, I ain't working today. That's gonna be a problem for the rest of your body. Or if your eyes quit working, or your ears quit working, or your mouth, you know, all the parts need to function together. And we need that. The, the body of Christ needs that as well. We need young members of the body working. We need older members working. We, we need the, the different kinds of gifts working together. Um, if you think about the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence the the product of, a, of the spirit of God being in our lives, if you look at those qualities—the you know, love, joy, peace, long suffering—all those qualities that are listed in Galatians five, most of them are relational qualities. They, they have to do with how we connect with other people. And we've actually seen some of them in verse 2. The humility, the gentleness, the patience. That means um, sometimes it could be translated long-suffering. That means that instead of being short-tempered, you're long-tempered. You don't, you don't lose your cool fast. By the way, if you say, well, I'm just, I'm just one of those people that I, I lose it fast. And that means that the Spirit of God doesn't have control of you. That's what it means. So if you'll get under the Spirit's control, you'll be able to control your temper, okay? Because the fruit of the Spirit, part of it is that long-suffering, and then the forbearance in love. So this whole attitude toward others, that uh, being lowly-minded, thinking of ourselves um, as less significant... Others is more significant than ourselves so that we can serve them. The gentleness to them, we have our strength under control. The being long-tempered, forbearing with people, you know that they can do better and someday they will, so you, you're, you're forgiving them in love. All of that comes from the work of the Spirit in us. And all of these help produce unity. So here's the way Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 12 when he's talking about the church as a body. There are varieties of gifts all kinds of giftedness. Some of you are really good at singing. Some of you really aren't. Okay? S- some of you are very... Are very um, you're, you're really good at learning and teaching. Some of you struggle. Okay? Uh, it's not... I mean, we, we, we all need to learn and we all need to share things with other people, but there, we see a variety of gifts. Some are very creative these are, are natural kinds of gifts, but, but it extends on into the spiritual gifts as well. And there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. So I'm not, I'm not looking at another person and saying, you don't have the same gift I do, so you're not as important. Because it's the same spirit that gave them the gift that that person has. Right? To each is given, and I just... The gift of typing. <laughs> to each is given is given. The manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's the difference between cutting and pasting and typing it out yourself. Okay. Um, the Spirit gives your gifts. And, and those gifts, as you use them, they shine out the reality of the Spirit being in your life. It is for the common good. See, sometimes we say this about somebody, talking about gifts in general. We say, oh, that, that person is so gifted. In fact, we idolize gifted people. They're so gifted. And sometimes we idolize ourselves. I'm so gifted. Well, any gift that I have was given me for the benefit of other people. That's what the gift is for. You know, if somebody gives you a gift, a birthday gift, a Christmas gift, and it's an extraordinarily valuable gift, you want to use that gift for what it's for. If they give you a Ferrari, you're supposed to use that gift for what it's for. If you just don't use the Ferrari in the way you should use it, then you're wasting the gift. God intends whatever gift you have to be used for the benefit of other people. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 through 13, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he will. So I don't just decide what gifts I want and what jobs I want that go with it. The Spirit decides. For just as a body is one and as many members, all and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews and Greeks, slaves and free. All were made to drink of one spirit. Now, as he talks about these things, you're going to see that there's some language that's going to cross over into some of the other categories, but that's exactly what we would expect with the unity that there is. So God the Spirit makes us one Body. Second, God the Son makes us one, in parentheses, faith. There seems to be a focus on the faith that is what we believe, uh, what we're relying on when it comes to Jesus. So, we have one hope, that's our future certainty that belongs to our call. Remember back at verse 1, we were told to walk worthy. Walk, live your daily life at an equal level with your calling. Walk worthy of your calling. God has called you to life. God has, has called you to Jesus. You've heard the gospel call. Now live in a way that's consistent with that. One hope has to do, we wait expectantly for Christ's return. We know that what we're enjoying now is only the beginning. There's much more to come. One Lord, He is head over the church. He is the chief shepherd. And so, we we talk about this when we talk about polity, when we talk about governance in a church. How does Christ rule the church? Well, He rules through His Word and by the Spirit, but he is the one in charge, and we want to be careful that we don't think of the church as just something that we create, and that that we can just make it anything that we want. Christ is head, and so we go to his word. The reason we do life by the book is because Christ has given us His Word through the Spirit so that we know what He actually wants. If Christ is the head, what does the head do? It's like the the brain. It's the one that governs everything. If if the body's not doing what the brain tells the body to do, then you've got problems. You could be there in the the, uh, neurological floor in ICU because you're having seizures. Your body's not doing what the brain is telling it to do. There's a disconnect. We want to be well connected to the head, Jesus Christ. He's our Lord, and one faith—that's the body of truth that we believe—that's centered on Jesus Christ. Our reliance is on Jesus Christ. What brings us together is this reliance on the Lord, and then one baptism. Baptism is—it's—it's it's done by the spirit. Spiritual baptism is done by the spirit. Water baptism that we're going to witness now is that public identification with Christ-believing people. It's a way of saying, I belong to this people over whom Christ is head. It, it's a way of, saying, of swearing public allegiance to Jesus Christ. And so in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 5, we're told there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. So we're, we've got different jobs to do. We are serving one king. We're serving one head of the church. What you do as an individual member that benefits the other members of Christ's body is in service to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Spirit is animating this, is giving us the life power. Christ is our head. We are uh, in allegiance to Him, and that unites us. And third, we see God the Father. God the Father makes us one Family and this the language of father reminds us of the family. And notice the way that, that this is described one God and Father. And then then you have this word all these descriptions of all over all I guess we'll make this circles over all through all in all he's pretty involved. God, your heavenly Father, is very involved with who you are and how you interact with other people. When we say he's the God and Father of all, we're not talking about of all the people in the world who ever live. We are talking about those that actually belong to Jesus, that are part of the, the body of Christ. He is God and Father of all. In other words, his Spiritual DNA is in you. His life is in you. you are, we've talked a lot in 1 John about if you're born of God, if you're a born one of God, you're going to have the family characteristics. You're going to have your father's characteristics. And this is part of what, this is what's uniting us. If you're actually born again, it creates a love for the family. It, it creates a spirit, an attitude that is like the father's attitude. You know, this is what John's been arguing in 1 John. So his life is in us. The overall speaks of his sovereignty. So he's head of the family. He is through all. He He is moving. He's operating in us. And he is in all. He is dwelling in us. Now, as you look at those, you say, well, wait a minute. I know there are other places in the Scripture where... For instance, Christ has already been called Lord. He's over all. And I think of the Spirit. He indwells us. He's in all. And I think of uh, the Spirit empowers us. You say, well, wait a minute. Which, which person of the Trinity does this? Is it God the Father? Is it God the Spirit? Or is it God the Son? And the answer is yes. It's yes. So while... While they have some different functions, they're so united in in the way that they work in us and work for us and and lead us that that one runs into the other. You see this throughout the scriptures at creation. You see it, it, it's clear that God the Father is creating, but we're also told that that Christ is creator. We're also told the Spirit of God was hovering over in. And, and in redemption and people being born again. You see all three members of the Trinity at work. Um, and so, there, there, are, there are these different functions, but they're working together so tightly that the triune God is at work, and that unity shows up in our own lives. So, 1 Corinthians 12, 6 talks about God the Father's part. There are varieties of activities So things that people are doing, it's the same God who's empowering them all in everyone. So, you know, this leads to a real appreciation for other brothers and sisters in Christ and what they're doing, their ability to do these things, their opportunities to do these things, their being actively engaged in those things has to do with God working in them. And so instead of just thinking about them as a human being at work, think about God Working through that human being. Remember how this morning we we're talking about for us to make the invisible God visible, we need to love one another. Well, we see the invisible God made visible as we do the work that He's given us to do. As we each are functioning as we ought to, functioning as one. Ephesians four seven really introduces to us how this is even possible. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, there are some words, some synonyms that are used here but with similar ideas. I just want to point them out. They all start with, with G. Okay, we've got grace, we have given, and we have gift. So, the reason this works is not coming from us. It's something that God is giving to us. Grace, we typically define as unmerited favor, but let's let's think about favor. It's talking about everything that's good, everything that's a, a blessing, everything that's kind, the goodness of God, but it's goodness that goes way beyond what we could ever earn. So, it's through the grace of God, and you can think about all the levels of this, from the, the gospel right down to the strength he gives for any given day. It's, it's God giving you grace, favor on you, that makes us able to function this way as a body. When you see a church family, or when you see a church even broader than the local church, um, Christians working together in a unified way, you're looking at God. Favoring them in a way that human beings don't really deserve. It's beyond what we deserve to get to do this. And that's why sometimes I'll say to you, it's people ask, they'll be asking about the church and how it's going. And it's it is, can I say it this way? It's just cool to watch God at work among his people. It it's an amazing thing to see him change people and to see them work together. This is the unmerited favor of God. This is God pouring out His goodness. He's making it possible. And you'll notice that He's given to each one of us this gift. So, it's not just He's giving in, you know, the big picture or just to this person and that person, each one of us. To each one of us, we've all been given this grace, and therefore we all have the responsibility, every one of us, to use it well for the unity of church. God's treated us better than we deserve, and he keeps doing that, and we should treat our brothers and sisters in the same way. Here's what happens sometimes. What is it that causes this unity? Well, that person said an awful thing about me. Or that person, you know, I just don't like the way they sing. Uh, Or that, that person walks funny. Or you know what I'm using ridiculous examples, but you know some things bother us more than other things. That person talks too loud uh, or too long. Um, I can find all kinds of things that might might rub me wrong, might might bother me about another person. But I want to remember, even if that person has done me wrong, how God has treated me. I did him wrong. While I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. And so if God is showing me grace, then I can show other people grace. I don't have to respond. If they misuse how they talk toward me, I don't have to respond in the same way. I can talk back to them with grace. I can show them favor because God has done that for me. And you'll notice that this is according to the measure of Christ's gift. Well, how big is Christ's gift to us? The gift of salvation. uh, And then it's going to specify some other specific gifts God has given for building up the church um, through the people that he's he's given the church. How how big was his giving to? I mean, can you picture Christ going, well, I'll give you that much. No, no more. I mean, Jesus doesn't pinch pennies when he's giving gifts. So we're supposed to be, we're supposed to be living in a way where we we are practicing this unity in a way, recognizing we've been given gifts from God in a way that's according to the measure of Christ's gifts. In other words, just as lavishly, just as generously um, our giving to others should be with the measurement Christ has poured out kindness to us. I I love that verse in Romans 12 that talks about outdoing one another and showing honor. These verses that follow will specify some of the gifts that Christ has given us for building up the body into loving unity, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastor, teachers, and how they make the saints functional for the work of ministry, that, so we're building one another up in love. But those are gifts that Christ has given. The, the people that are part of our church family, the, the Christians that you run into in the course of your life, they are God's gifts to you. They are God's gifts to the church. God has gifted them, God has empowered them, God has connected them to you in some way, and and we want to view them in that way as God's gift to us, and we want to be giving back in the same way. We are one. God the Spirit makes us one. God the Son makes us one. And God the Father makes us one. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. And Lord, in one sense, this is very simple concept, but it's profound in the power that it has in how we live. I pray that we might be able to pull it down from just academic thought into the way we talk and think and live as we relate to one another, loving one another as Christ has loved us.